It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This week on the Gagan Pod, we're going in-depth on the Socceroos World Cup squad. Who better than an icon in Mark Schwarzer to break it all down for us? Joined by Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges. We'll also check in on the Premier League's big talking points, what's going on in European football, and the Matildas have a game this weekend as well. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gagan Pod. It is one of the most anticipated Gegen pods of the season because we have a World Cup squad to dissect. Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen, former Premier League stars, Mark Schwarzer, Socceroos icon, are with us in the pod today. Very, very quickly before we launch into the Socceroos, your best and worst moments. You can choose one, you can choose both, you can choose neither. Let's start with you, Mark Schwarzer. Best moment of the weekend, worst moment of the weekend, what stands out? Uh, Bridges is going to love me so, because, because uh, Newcastle won and I got my tip right. Newcastle won by two or more goals. Uh, so I finally got something right on my tipping. Well done, big man. It's about blooming time. <laughs> I'll send you a medal in the post. Embarrassing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Embarrassing. Thank um, you. Mine is coming from Elland Road at Leeds United. It's incredible, the turnaround. I was doing the the um, lounges at half-time when Leeds were 2-1 down. We all know. It's been all over social media. Thank of you very we much. Know. If you haven't seen oh it, follow God. me behind the scenes. Seriously. I get bread rolls and tomatoes thrown at us at half-time, saying it's a disgrace, what's going on here, blah, blah, 2-1 down. And then after the match, 4-3 victory, and you're getting people buying your pints and champagne, it was just a party atmosphere. So that was the highlight, the game and atmosphere, incredible. All I can say is, good evening, Unit Emery, getting his first win for Aston Villa against Manchester United. I think... Uh, <laughs> You know, they needed it, my old club. Uh, so uh, great to see a bit of spark early on. We'll see how uh, long it lasts. But yeah, no, great win. Yeah, but it was only against United though, wasn't it? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it's got to get a lot harder from here. <laughs> Anyone got a worse moment they want to throw in? I'm going to throw one in. Just before the World Cup and the Socceroos squad was announced, I was witness to the Sunderland game where Bailey Wright made the worst back pass possible and unfortunately Sunderland conceded a penalty from it. However, Patterson did save the penalty, the goalkeeper, but um, yeah, really bad performance from Sunderland and obviously seeing Bailey Wright, who's normally a catalyst and a leader behind that, he, he just went to bits unfortunately. So hopefully picks up for the World Cup. No, I would say, you know, the closer we get to, to the World Cup, I, I just get more and more annoyed that it's in Qatar. You know, we, we just keep hearing all these stories, uh, you know, but it is what it is. And uh, I'm sure it'd be a great tournament. But yeah, uh, FIFA, bad decision. For me, it has to be Fulham. Oh, how unlucky were they? I mean, I know, look, when I say how unlucky, they considered late. Man City killed them in possession, all the chances, everything else. But still, when you're away and you're... Grind, trying to grind out a result away at City, even though they had 10 within for most of the game. Um, you know, for Fulham, I bit, you know, pretty devastated for them to lose the game in the end so late. So those are our best and worst. Let's get on to the Socceroos World Cup squad. The floor is yours to begin with before we get into specifics. 
Mark Schwarzer, what were your initial impressions of Graham Arnold's 26? Well, you know what? The funny thing is, I only sort of basically heard the first three, well, the, the three goalkeepers' names, and that's all I heard. And the rest I didn't even know until I think at least probably 12 hours later because I still couldn't get over the fact that there's no Mitch Langerak in that squad. Um, it completely... Um, like uh, bamboozles me. It, I, I'm in shock. I, I can't understand it. I mean, the most most informed Australian goalkeeper uh, playing at the highest level for the last two years minimum. Um, and, and that's not being disrespectful. I know when people say that, that means you are being disrespectful, but I'm not. Because obviously I'm a big fan of Matty Ryan. I think he's done an incredible job, um, but he's not playing consistently every week. And Mitch has been incredible. Um, and I don't, I just don't get it. I really do not understand the logic behind him not being there. And I'm not buying, you know, he retired and wasn't involved and therefore it's not fair on other people. It's a World Cup and you could go through a list of players and a, a, a list of players that are in the squad that played very little part in the qualification but are there going to the World Cup now. So... I'm not buying that. Well, I've got to back you up there because obviously Harry Souter is playing his first game for Stoke this season after his uh, nasty injury. It's good to see him back, but he's in the squad there. Um, and you, exactly what you're saying, it just backs up. It's not about who hasn't getting game time or where you're at. I think it's about who they've selected and wanted in the squad that, they can, that they've can that used in the past and know that they can um, try and keep the dynamics and the culture in there. And the other one that I find um, is Bailey Wright. He has, I, I was asking if I could go and interview Bailey Wright before the World Cup. He was very nervous about the um, getting the interview because he didn't know whether he was going to be involved because he's literally had hardly any game time. And... So again, Trent Sainsbury's missed out, uh, and uh, and that'll be an interesting conversation at the dinner table. Can you imagine the family, the son-in-law of Arnie, um, how that one goes down? But I, I'm in total disbelief with the goalkeeper situation. We have raved about Langerak for the last two or three seasons, Swartzy um, and Tommy. We've talked about him on the podcast. We've talked about him when we've been doing the highlight show, and not to see him there. I think it's an absolute disgrace and there's there's something amiss. There's either the dynamics between him and Crawley are not right um, and, you know, you, you, th- this kind of judgment makes you question that lad's professionalism. Is he a bad egg? And yet you've got loads of former players coming out and backing him up and seeing how much of a professional he is, how good he is coming out of retirement just to have egg thrown in his face. Um, I really feel for the lad I do. Uh, Bridgie, we might give you an honorary membership uh, in the goalkeeping union after that speech. Uh, great never, team, never. Don't want to be part of it. <laughs> hey, you sound like one of us, so that's good. Um, I, I would just take a probably a broader picture on on the uh, the Socceroos squad. I, I think, you know, definitely from a Danish perspective, I don't think it's a squad that 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 scares anyone uh, in Denmark. Uh, we know what it's going to be a tough game. We saw that at the 2018 World Cup. Uh, you know that. It was a game that the Socceroos potentially could have won, um, you know. So, you know, I would say it's 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 probably not the strongest squad that um, Australia has has ever sent to the World Cup. Um, but yeah, no, I'm sure that they're, they're going to put up a fight, and uh, it's going to come down to that last game uh, against Denmark. I'm sure of it. I've got to give massive praise though, um before you before we go further. I've been watching Riley McGree lately playing for Middlesbrough since Michael Carrick has come in the last few matches. He has taken his game on to a whole new level. He's been Mr. Consistent, man of the match in the last game. They're playing again tonight. Um, if, obviously, if the listeners of this, it, it's gone out. 
um, prior. He's been on top form, and it's great to see Aaron Moy again playing um, at Celtic with Ange. Yeah, I think that's perfect timing because Iden Rustic, obviously, there is still a question mark over how fit he'll be. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because I think he's a massive player for the Socceroos that he'll be that he'll be 100% fit and raring to go that first game um, against France. Um, so yeah, it's good timing. Ryan McGree's playing well. He's a talented young man and finding his feet. And obviously, under Michael Carrick, um, has a manager that uh, he can he can really really flourish under. Um, so yeah, looking looking forward to that. And the other thing I have to say is. Very, very, very pleased to see Cameron Cameron Devlin in there. I think uh, thoroughly deserves it. And uh, that goes back to players' involvement, how many players have been involved and been part of the journey and are there because of that potentially. I'm not sure. But Cameron Devlin obviously wasn't. So, yeah, he's he's one I think he thoroughly deserves to be there. Yeah, and Cummings as well. I think that's also a, a great inclusion. I think he, he's a he's a player in form. I think he can offer a lot and and has that international experience from from Scotland as well. So I, th- I think yeah, I agree with you on on those two. They're you know they're great additions to the squad. And he's got a bit of banter off the field as well. That'll keep the dynamics in the camp as well. <laughs> Some of the yeah, stuff that sure. he does, he's, he's he's the mad dog for a reason, isn't he? So yeah, the cum yeah. dog. <laughs> We will drill down into some of the specifics position by position and some of the big decisions. Let's start with Langerak then. Mark, you mentioned the uh, inconsistency in selection with regards to both loyal players through the campaign and players that have been called in having not taken part in the qualifying campaign. Tommy Orr, former Socceroo, who's going to be a big part of Optus Sports' coverage of the World Cup, he tweeted yesterday, it's an absolute wind-up, takes jobs for the boys to a whole new level. He's been one of our best-performing players consistently for the last five years and is one of the best blokes you'll meet, respected by everyone. And that certainly made quite a few waves. Tommy wasn't able to join us this morning, but he will be part of Optus Sports' coverage of the World Cup as we keep you company during the tournament. Mark, was it jobs for the boys? I mean, what's what's the, uh, the fallout from this going to be as far as... I, I don't know, you, you beg someone to come out of international retirement, you don't play them against New Zealand, and now this seems to be a rather high-profile public humiliation of being left out. Yeah, I, that, I, just, I don't get it. I really don't. That, that, that as well, you know, that, on, that even makes it worse, that they ask him to come back, they ask him to take part, and then, then they leave him out. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, look, I'm not going to go so far as say it's a job for the boys. I, I have the utmost respect for all the goalkeepers in the squad. No, no doubt, right? There's nothing personal. I just think, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that um, that Mitch has to be in that squad. I just don't understand it. I really don't. And the only thing I can look at it is maybe because it's a slightly different style of, of goalkeeping to the, to the rest of them. It's not maybe the way that uh, maybe John Crawley is used to working with or wants to work with. I'm not sure. Um, but I think... Um, I think it's a very, very bizarre. And obviously, Graham Arnold made the, made the the point that it was John Crawley who made the decision, which, I mean, that's, you know, obviously the goalkeeping coach has a big say, um, but that's a big call to to also make it very clear that who made that decision by, uh, for the goalkeepers uh, to go to the World Cup. He was and, very quick uh, to brush that one off and palm man. it off from his own account, wasn't he, Arnie? He was very quick to drop yeah, that and was. say that wasn't my decision. Yeah, I mean, look... I, if you if you're if you're allowing your goalkeeping coach to have that bigger say, fair enough, you know, then you've got to go with it. If you, once you give them that 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 opportunity to to make those big decisions, um, I certainly would be questioning it if I was a manager saying, you know, I, I don't quite understand it. You know, he's he's the goalkeeper that is the most informed, the playing at the highest level, is absolutely, you know, flying in Japan and has been flying in Japan for a number of seasons. 
breaking records left, right, and center. And it's not like he's playing at a at a club that's winning everything. You know, he's at a club that the reason they've had so much success or, or, or performed so well in the league is a lot of it is down to the performances of Mitch Langrat. Mark, what I will say, there's one thing that stands out in abundance. We all get let down from from squads. You see, we see people getting getting left out. There's tough decisions need to be made, but I think you've just nailed it there. It's the manners in which it's happened. Asking them to come back out of retirement to be part of the squad, giving them a false sense of security, and then just being dropped like, like and, and humiliated. I think that's the bit that leaves a, a sour taste in my my mouth. And I'm not even connected with the Socceroos in any form, but I, I see it from a personal point of view for that lad and how you can treat somebody like that. I think it's 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 not right. Yeah, but the whole situation of 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 him obviously, as you said, Bridget, being asked back and then not playing the two friendlies as well. Um, and, and, and from a, you know, especially in the goalkeeping position, I think you go by form. You know, it's different if you're a defender or, or you know, someone who has to fit into a, a way of playing. But goalkeeping is, is such an individual position. It's all about confidence. And, you know, I, I, you know, I think it, it's a wrong decision on, on so many levels for sure. And uh, yeah, I feel for him. I feel for him. Uh, he must be gutted. The thing is, it's not even clear. Like, it's not close, sorry. It's not even close. Like, it's not like we're talking, you know, obviously Matty's playing in Europe and playing at a, well, involved at a club at a high level, did play it quite a bit when he first moved to, to Copenhagen. The other guys are playing in the A-League. So I, I just don't think the competition or the level of goalkeeping is on a par. I, I don't think you can say that, you know, it was a really tight call. I, I just don't see it. I, I, for me, it has to be Matty and uh, Mitch, as number one and two and then then there's a decision to make on who you have for number three I just I don't I can't see it I've in never any way, seen Swartzy so flustered and angry and <laughs> like it's, just it's just anxious it I'm really loving is. this I, I, I find it really tough I mean I've had it explained to me I've had it explained to me and I still don't get it yeah. I still I understand there's an element of finding finding a combination that works well at big tournaments um, and 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 look, I've been in tournament. I mean, we've been in squads. We've all been in squads where the dynamics hasn't always been great. You've also been in squads where on-field dynamics has been good, off-field dynamics not necessarily. But it doesn't matter as long as you're able to manage the on-field and keep it to the on-field. What you do in your private life and socialize, it doesn't really matter in terms of whether or not the group's together or not. Um, I, I, I get that. And sometimes, you you know, if you've decided you want to go to the World Cup and literally you are deciding that you're having a clear one, two, and three, that's that's a big call because you get an injury and, and, and Maddie's obviously going to the World Cup now with an injury. I was going to say he's not fit, is he? No, at the moment. Look, we don't know exactly the extent of it, but, you know, we hope that he's going to be fit. But it also could, could, could happen that, he, that he's not fit. I don't understand why you don't have your very next best goalkeeper ready yeah, to play. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, it's not like he's not professional. He's a top guy. It, I can back up what Tommy Moore said. I know Mitch, top guy, unbelievable professional. You don't get to the level you're at and play in Japan where it's very disciplined um, and, and, and uh, professional. You don't get to be there and be that well-respected and do so well without doing all the right things. And I don't, I, I don't know a person who has a bad word to say about Mitch. Let's move on to the next big call. Tom Rogic, not selected. Mark, does it make sense? And is it the end of his international career now that he's missed out on this World Cup opportunity? I think with Tommy Rogic, there's a lot of uh, uh, gaps into the explanation as to firstly why he wasn't involved. Uh, he pulled out of a squad 
a couple of months, like I think it was before the, the, the final playoffs. And then obviously he was trying to sort his future out and then signed for, for West Bromwich Albion quite late. Um, and, and he hasn't been playing regularly. Look, I think Tommy, Tommy Rodgers, when he's at his best, is a, is a top-class player. Um, but obviously they've made a decision that he hasn't played enough football. And I, I believe he's played more than I believe he's played more than Suter and Bailey Wright. <laughs> so that well, that, 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 that the shows your theory out the window. I, I know. So normally we would be sitting and going, "Well, look, he hasn't played a lot of football, and yeah. he's not playing." I mean, but we, we see with every squad, every squad has a cup, one or two players, maybe three players that haven't played a lot of football. Now the squads are a bit bigger, and haven't necessarily played a lot of football because of injuries or just not getting in the team. But so so you know you you, you look at our our mobile. But he's playing in La Liga. He's, he's involved in a club at that high level. And he's played games. He's been on and off. He hasn't played regularly by any means. But he's playing. He's training in and around that environment at the very highest level. One of the top four or five leagues yeah. in the world. So I totally... And he, and he adds something completely different to the soccer But surely the experience, that we though, of Rogic had. deserves to be in there alone that he can handle. He's been to World Cups. He knows what it takes. He has been back playing. Obviously, he's had a bit of a bad time with Bruce, the manager's changing. I just thought he could yep. have helped the dynamics, and I thought he would have been one of the main the main men in that squad since he found himself a club. To be fair, but so. maybe maybe he's had that conversation with him. Maybe he's, maybe maybe Arnie's had a conversation with him. Maybe Tommy himself uh, felt that it wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I, I, I don't, we don't know. We, yeah. we really don't know. That's the only thing I would say. But say say all things are, are, are normal. Yeah, I'm 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 slightly I'm I'm less I'm less uh, surprised about Tommy not being in the squad than obviously Mitch. But I, I get what you're saying, and and that that is a valid point. Let's turn our attention to some of the young guns because these have been hot topics of conversation on the Gegen Pod in the countdown to this selection. Garen Qual is in. No Marco Tilio, no Daniel Arzani, and crucially, Christian Volpato was offered a spot in the squad. Graham Arnold saying he'd spoken to him three times in the 24 hours before the squad was named, and Volpato ultimately turned down the opportunity to commit to Australia as his national team, at least for now. So, Mark, what is your assessment of Garen Quoll getting the golden ticket at 18 years of age? Tilio and Arzani miss out. Volpato turns it down. Um, look, I, I think Garen Quoll is a huge talent. And I understand. It's a bit like four years ago with Daniel Arzani. You know, this guy that, that, that came onto the scene, exploded onto the A-League at times and showed had this something X-factor and Grand Qual has the same, right? So, so or, or in a different way, but it has that X factor. So I understand that. And I think with the squad size, I think you can bring in a player that has very limited experience, but is potentially a huge, huge player for the future. I, I don't think that's a, I don't have a, an, in, uh, an issue with that one bit. I, I think with uh, Daniel Azani, look, he's a guy that, that has really struggled since coming to Europe. And he's been back in Australia for, for how long? You know, uh, a couple of months. And I just don't think he's at that level that he was before he left. And I think that's, and I think, you know, Arnie's probably the best place to, to, to make that decision on him, watching him, being able to watch him firsthand. Um, with, with Christian Valpato, the, the only thing, look, we don't know how much the FA, how much or how often uh, the FA or Graham Arnold has tried to, to speak to, to Christian Valpato. Um, the worry, the, the, the thing is, when he said, I've tried to call him. I've spoken to him three times in the last twenty-four hours. Why leave it so late? Why are you looking to bring someone in in the last twenty-four hours? You know, you. I would like to think, and I hope this is a thing that's been happening for 
the last 12 months at least. I'm pretty that, sure that, that he turned down it. he turned down a call up for the New Zealand series as well. Yeah, so so you you need to work on the guy more. Look, they may well have, and 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 if that's the case, that is the case. I've mean, got to just respect his decision that he's backing himself, thinking that he is good enough to play for the Italian national squad. That's what I respect for it, because you know there yeah. was lots of things that say in Australia turned their back on him. Well, they, they didn't really. He, you know, he had an opportunity to get himself off, and he did. And I think fair play him if he wants to back himself and miss out on a World Cup and have the opportunity later in life to represent Italy. Good on him. Go for your, Go for your life. The, the, I, I know what you're saying and, and look a, a lot of guys it's happened over time I, I had it once in my career as well where you you feel you feel hurt you feel let down when it comes to national team selections you feel like you know people have turned their back on you I, I, I totally understand it right so you, you, there is a bitterness and there can be a bitterness for me it happened I was already playing for the national team and I'd never ever ever considered playing for anyone else anyway even before that I couldn't at that stage anymore but I, I just was never in my in my head but I, I kind of look I understand it he's in Italy he's playing well I was at the game against Hellas Verona where he came on and, and made all the difference and turned the game on its head um, he's a hugely talented young man and I look I think yes you, you respect the guy but I still think you work on him so long as he hasn't played for Italy, I think you still continuously have contact with him. You still continuously try and try and speak to him about it and, and, and explain to him more in depth, more about how, how important he'll be for the national team, what he can bring, all those sort of things. I think I'm, I'm, I'm not one to think, I'm not one to say, why are we begging a player? No, no, no. I, I think certain players that you've got to understand the uh, the background I think you have to understand what's happened how, how why is he feeling hurt I think you need to find that out you need to try and explain and try and build bridges and at the end of the day he still doesn't want to play that so be it at least you've given it every opportunity to to explain yourself and make amends for potentially even something else that someone else has maybe done you might say did they really want him because a phone call is quite Anybody can ring ring around and make a phone call. You're going to see people face-to-face or making that flight and making it, you know, going over and meeting that person face-to-face to try. And it's a lot more, I think, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, personal. Like, help it, us yeah. out, yeah? Personal, yeah, no, thank you, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, again, I, I know they do that in Denmark. You know, they travel around all the, the prospects. I know it's a little bit different here because, you know, there's a there's a split uh, uh, international background um but yeah no i think you you need to have that person personal contact you know got to show you care in a little bit more than a phone call i, I agree i rang my wife up when she was when i was trying to date her seven times to before i could even get a date and i went and knocked on her door and face to face i finally got one yeah, that's the that's the I surprising thing. That, that, when you went that's the surprising thing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Did she wear glasses hey. by any chance? Wow. Glasses. Well, what a revelation on maybe the, the gagging part. My God. I've never noticed it with Kate. Has she got glasses? I don't know. <laughs> Happy to to hear uh, a success story from Michael Bridges. Nonetheless, let's talk about the strikers because it's hard to believe. Just before the pandemic hit, Jason Cummings was scoring a double against Liverpool in the FA Cup for Shrewsbury Town. The idea of him coming to Australia to play in the A-League seemed like it was in the too-hard basket due to his off-field reputation. It's been an incredible journey. He wishes he'd done it sooner, taking the move out to Australia. The Central Coast Mariners were seen to be taking a risk. How that has paid off, now he's in the Socceroos squad. Mark Schwarzer, Adam Taggart is one of the unlucky strikers that misses out. What do you make of the Cum Dogs' journey from obscurity to the Socceroos? 
Look, I remember when he first was was mentioned, um, and there was a bit of a spotlight on him. And and yet, look, he was he was a he's he's obviously a character. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I've seen obviously a bit of of, of his performances. I watched, uh, you know, the games uh, against New Zealand or the game he played against in, in New Zealand, and uh, I like the fact he got up and took the penalty. I like the fact that he showed that that little. He's got a little bit of you know that little bit of flair, a little bit of um, maybe. Some would say arrogance, overconfidence, which is great. I think I think it's great. He's got something different, um, and he's got quality. There's no there's no doubt about it. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see him play for Australia at a World Cup, um, and you know I'm sure he's relishing the opportunity to to like he said, wish he'd done it sooner, come out to Australia to play in the, the national team, go to a World Cup. Um, I, I I hope I hope he he makes the most of it because if he does well, then it means Australia will potentially do well. Yeah, you know, and I think Cummings fits in well. You know, you got McLaren um, and Mitch Duke up front. Um, you know, they all offer something different. Um, and I agree with you, Swartzer. I think you know what he's showing in the A League. Uh, no, he's showing you know he's showing some real quality as well. He, he can set up goals link up but he can also finish uh and and i think confidence is, is so hugely important and australia will need it so uh you know i i, I think he's a, an exciting prospect for sure bridgie you've lived something similar to jason cummings looking to rejuvenate a career looking for a new experience in football and as much as the a-league has been criticized for not landing the the marquee players you know missing out on one martyr or chesk fabregas it's the guys like Broish, it's the guys like Barisha, it's the guys like Cummings that are looking for that new lease of life. Th- that always seems to be the great Australian success story whenever we import. And, and it must make you feel great to see Jason Cummings is the latest player to live that journey. And it's gone spectacularly well because he's made the soccer roots. Yeah, absolutely. And because they're coming here for the right reasons, they're not coming here just for a, a payday. You talk about Broish and Cummings, you put them in that category. They're not just coming here for a holiday to... to to rest up and, and take their money on the last few years of their career. They're coming here to make an impact and they want to play, um, having missed out on certain opportunities back where, where they have been playing in the past. You know, Thomas Bryce was, fell out of love of football. He found his love of the game back in Australia. And in the A-League and in Australia, we had the, the privilege of seeing him play. And, I, you know, I, I hated playing against him, but I loved watching him play. And Cummins has come with that same attitude. They've em- they absolutely embraced it. He, he's embraced the culture. He's got the crack off the field. I think he's great the way the the you know the the media's embraced him for that kind of reason as well. And he's producing on the on the um, field. And I think it also helps, you know, when you've got a manager like Nick Montgomery that understands where where he's come from and what he's been about. Uh, you know, sometimes the dynamics can it can derail the situation. But I think giving him like a bit more of a senior role. Um, that Monty's given him, and he's he's passing that wisdom and knowledge on as a bit of a mentor for the younger ones, and he'll be given, you know, Garang, um all the advice he can give him at the national level, but also for his move over to Europe. So I'm all for it if they're coming here, for, or coming to Australia for the right reasons. I think that's important: is the right reasons, the age. I think we, you know, for for me personally, I think we, you know, going for players that are their their twilight of their careers, players that are out there just for their final payday. I don't think is the right way forward. I think you need to be looking at those younger players that are, uh, have huge amounts of potential that maybe could hit the hit the floor running. Um, and let's not compare Jason Cummings just yet with Thomas Broish. Thomas Broish was superb for what five, six, seven seasons. Uh, Jason Cummings has still got a long way to go until he reaches that level. All right, let's move to the other end of the pitch and talk about centre-backs because the omission of Trent Sainsbury was a huge call, not least because he is the son-in-law of Graham Arnold. 
Tommy Deng, one of the beneficiaries, his versatility and ability to play as a right-back was probably a factor in that. But, Mark, what did you make of that decision from Graham Arnold? How big a factor was both Sainsbury's performances against New Zealand in those friendlies, but also his lack of club football having chosen to go and play in Qatar and actually needing to link up with Melbourne City just to train to keep fit? Uh, Yeah, look... (laughs) I, I, I was surprised, very, very surprised to not see him in the squad. I, re- I really was. Um, you you know too well, like, you know, back in the, against the games against New Zealand that he's not going to, uh, that, that, you know, in Qatar, the league finishes sooner, that he's not going to be playing games right up to it. Um, but that surely shouldn't matter if we look at a list of players in that squad, how many games they've played themselves. You know, there's, there's quite a few players that are not playing regularly. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure on the decision. And obviously only Graham Arnold can answer why he left Trent Sainsbury out and, you know, someone that's been through the whole campaign. I think Trent will um, sleep pretty well at night considering the the, so, the club he's been at. I've, I've heard that his pillowcase is on full of, like, feathers. They're, they're just full of money. He just So he'll, he'll sleep well at night. Don't worry about that. But I don't think Arnie will be around for many barbecues yeah. in the near future, that's yeah, but, for sure. But, but Bridgie, that, that means that means nothing compared to missing out on a World I Cup. I know, mate. So I'm just trying to make light way. of it. Yeah, you know, like that's the thing. I I I I feel devastated for him as yeah. well. Yeah, know, because yeah, he, he's he's obviously worked incredibly hard. Yeah, and he's played most games. Uh, you know, I know he's he's got a little gap up to the World Cup, but you know, Thomas Deng, he's playing in the second league in Japan. You know, it's not like you know, there's there's other players that are, you know, on paper so much ahead of him. I I, I agree that. You know, you got to have experience at a World Cup. You got to have players who've been there, done it, knows the system, uh, and he does that. And and so for me, you know, even for Matty Ryan, you you got to have someone in front of you that you're used to working with, especially with this short build-up to the World Cup. You can't just throw people in left, right, and center. And and uh, you already got Suter who hasn't played. You know, so you know, I, I don't get it. I I feel it's it's could be a mistake. Yeah, it's it is. Like if you look at Harry Suter, as good a player as he is, as good a player as he was before he got injured, he's been out for a long, long time. And we know, we've seen it time and time again, how long it takes for players to come back from such serious injuries. I, I just, look, as much as I'd love to see Harry Suter play at the World Cup for Australia, I, 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 I'm worried that it is too soon. I'm worried that making that decision with regards to, to Trent leaving him out without experience could also be costly. And if he plays against Mbappe in that first game, you, you'll you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Well, yeah. Look, look. He's obviously he. You know, he's he's playing a couple of games now for Stoke between now and going away to the World Cup. Let's see how he pulls up from that. Look, it's it's a it's a massive massive ask to to lift yourself to play exactly France first game. Who knows? Look, who knows if he's going to start? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, of course. Is he going there just to hopefully? You know, be part of the squad. Who knows? I don't know. But that, that that's a big call to make um, based on a player that's that's been out for such a long period of time. Tommy, I wanted to loop back around to the Marco Tilio discussion because you are close uh, being a former Melbourne City player to the club. And we had discussed whether they were pulling the right rein, not starting Tilio. Had they put him in the best position to make the World Cup? How big a factor do you think this little run of five or six weeks of A-League and Tilio not starting 
the first couple of games was in him missing out? I mean, was the high-profile open goal miss against New Zealand the moment where he blew his shot? Or do you think there is more that Melbourne City could have done to put him in the best position to get selected for this World Cup? Because I guess you look at City did get two players in, you know, McLaren and Leckie. It's credit to them for taking care of those Socceroos. But the Central Coast Mariners in A-League economic scale at the total opposite end of the spectrum are sending three players to this World Cup squad. So I think it goes to show that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how big or small you are in the A-League, you can send players to a World Cup. I think credit to Tilio. He has turned his form around. I think he, he has a, had a couple of good games um, of late, uh, got a couple of goals, obviously, as well. Uh, but, I, you know, I just think it was a bit too late because, you, you know, you're looking, we were talking about Kual, Azani and him. And here yeah, I always thought there was only going to be one, potentially two in there, uh, but, but more likely one, as, as it turned out. Um, and, and it was never, you know, I know Patrick Kisnorbo, he's not picking players uh, to get them in the Socceroos squad. He, he's picking them on, on merit and what he thinks is best for the team. And I think early in the season, I think Tilio just wasn't... Um, in the right, you know, uh, playing the way he wanted to, um, but but credit to him. Uh, but I, I, he came back here late. But yeah, sadly, I think it was just uh, a bit too late, and and potentially that miss against New Zealand was maybe just also a little bit of a uh, a thing on the uh, on the scales. One of the trends in this squad is that players, perhaps in perceived to be lower ranking leagues that are getting minutes, have gone to the World Cup over players in higher-ranking leagues that aren't. Case in point, Keanu Bacchus is in, but Denis Jonro misses out. And, Mark, I'm sure that if Jonro had left Toulouse after getting promoted into Ligue 1, we all would have criticised him for saying, why would you go go to the Scottish Premier League when your team's just joined Ligue 1? But has, has he paid too dear a price here for trying to win his spot in a top-five league as opposed to losing his place to a Cam Devlin or a Keanu Bacchus that are playing in Scotland? Um, look, you can always say that, but you back yourself, don't you? As a player, you back yourself to play at the highest level. So for him, he felt, obviously, staying there would be the best opportunity for him to, to play at that highest level that he can get to and uh, and put himself in the best possible position to be part of the squad for the World Cup. Unfortunately for him, it didn't work out. And, and they're, they're the decisions you make. And it's hard because you make decisions. Making a decision in a World Cup year is really tough as well. There's a lot to be thought like to take into consideration. First and foremost, it's about settling in and how much game time you'll get if you make a move. How much will the league suit you? Um, there's all these things that you take into consideration. Not, not a lot of players that I can remember, certainly with the national team, Australia, have made that jump a year, like the year out from a World Cup and 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 really really hit the ground running at their new club. They're often found it difficult. It's for game time, for continuity. So I, I always find it's a really big decision to make. Does anyone, before I get into some big picture questions, rather than talking about individuals, want to weigh in on any of the other nuances in the squad? For instance, Joel King is going ahead of, say, Jason Davidson or Callum Elder. Ryan Strain misses out. Aiden Hrustich considered fit to go. Uh, Martin Boyle, Awamabil, Craig Goodwin, they'll be among our wingers. With Arnie saying that uh, Craig Goodwin was the only left-footed winger in the country. So if you've got a decent left peg and you live in Australia, bad luck to you. Um, and uh, I, I just wonder, is there is there anything else now that we've fleshed out our discussion that has perhaps uh, spiked in your memory that you would like to weigh in on as we uh, take a look at the individuals that have made the cut or that have missed out? I just think it's great to acknowledge some of the players that we, you know, we we've already mentioned. You mentioned Craig Goodwin there. I'm buzzing for him. 
I like Craig. He had a he had a really rough time at Newcastle Jets when I was there um, with with Gary Van Egmont, and you could just see the potential. The best thing he could do was get away to Europe, and he's back in the A League now, absolutely flying. I'm looking forward to seeing him because I always think Craig is Craig. Craig can score goals, Craig can deliver, and it's actually scary to think. I, you know, I was mentoring him when he was a young lad. And now he's a senior, one of the senior players in this squad. Delighted for him, Garan Kowal. Sports he said before, like taking somebody like that, if he can produce anywhere near the the standard in that All Stars game against Barcelona, where he came on and had a had had them, you know, them runs that he made. It's I, I love it because it's a plan B. It's an impact player. And it, remind, it reminds me, I'm not going to, don't get too carried away here, but when England took Michael Owen, it was a bit of an unknown. He was known at youth levels and he went to that World Cup and he scored that amazing goal against Argentina. It would just be lovely to see a moment like that from a young man where nobody has got any idea really what to expect from him and he's got everything to gain. So um, they're the couple of standouts that I'm looking forward to watching. Um, on a personal note. Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, Joel King. I think, you know, I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very happy that he has at my old club or dance but you know he hasn't played much so that that's another one where you know i think uh, ryan strain who's, who's done well i think uh in the a-league um you know um it, it, yeah it's a weird decision still you know when you got players that haven't played for so long uh and uh you know and he's not going to get in the dance team because uh, they have turned their season around a bit uh, without him so it, it, that's going to be tough as well all right, I want to get on to some uh, quick big picture issues before we wrap the Socceroos discussion. Graham Arnold, in his press conference, uh, when he was asked about leaving out Adam Taggart, simply said, it's one of those decisions I've made. And when it came to being asked about making decisions on players, he said he wanted to focus on the positives and he didn't really go into any detail about why he made the decisions he did. After the press conference, he then went on SEN, which is nominally an AFL-biased network, and said it's all about the negativity. I think Graham Arnold giving that free hit to SEN, who then turned it into a headline about how the Socceroos squad announcement has been uh, buried in negativity, showed a misunderstanding of the difference between negativity and scrutiny and accountability. And... To have been in the job for as long as he has, in his second stint in the job, no less, it leaves me wondering, why is there such a glass jaw around wanting explanations for reasons that decisions are made? It doesn't make a great deal of sense to me that your only interpretation of a 36-minute press conference explaining why you picked who you did for the World Cup is too much negativity, it's all about the negativity, when, to be honest, I didn't hear a great deal of negativity at all. All I heard was people wanting explanation of the process of decision-making. Yeah. Yeah, and the media as well. You know, again, I think we there is a split in Australia and there's a, an agenda as well to, you know, from, from certain parts to, 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 to not make football look too great. Um, but, uh, you know, he should be smarter than that when when you go on there and 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 i think you know explanations are great um you know and i think journalists should uh try to get them but at the end of the day you know you you have to make tough decisions as, as a manager and especially with with a world cup squad there they'll be happy people there'll be people who are, who are disgusted and and we'll have things like the langerak situation to discuss but ultimately you know you know he he floats or sinks as a manager and you know that's that's the name of the game so uh you know, I, I just uh, I just feel a bit sad because it's such a, a great thing that we got the World Cup coming on and, and we don't need neg- negativity around it. It's almost like you want to announce a squad and have no questions about the squad. You just want everyone to go, wow, that's amazing. I, I think when you've got big names 
like Tommy Rogic, Mitch Langerak, Adam Taggart, who have all been left out, people are well within their right to ask why. And I, and I think also for the national team, look, uh, it, I'd like to think that if you're, if you're the manager, and even if your goalkeeping coach has made the decision on who the goalkeepers are, to just say that the goalkeeping coach made that decision, surely you, you have reasons. There are, there are justifications given, there are explanations given for why that decision's been made. Surely there's something that you could, you could give to the press to explain why those decisions have been made. That, that's, I think, what everyone wants to know. Because then you can at least go, okay, you've gone, you've gone a certain route for these reasons. I was going to say there's, reason, there's reasoning behind it then, isn't there? Yeah, there's at, least you, at, least we, at least we can have a, a discussion about it and go, okay, I understand why you've done that. Yeah. I might not agree with it, but you're the manager and you made that decision. But just to say that like, they're the reasons and the goalkeeping coach has made the decision and then move on because you don't want to talk about it, that leaves yourself even more open. It, it just shows you that you're not confident maybe in your decisions that you've made. You just want to try and get the squad out there and move on and try and talk about the focus about the World Cup and how wonderful it is. I, I, I just think you, you need to be in the position where you've got to give explanations. When you're making a big decision like that, you have to. Look, I see it with Gareth Southgate. He gets asked all the time about players he leaves out. He gives an explanation as to why he leaves them out. So when he gets asked the question, and whether you think it's the right reason, whether you personally or I personally believe that that's uh, 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 like acceptable or I, I, I see it or I buy it or I, I accept it, is another thing. But at least you get a reasoning for it and you can judge the person on that reasoning then afterwards. Now, another th- another observation, and you're welcome to weigh in this or leave it as a comment, but the only real sort of player implementation detail I heard was discussions of who's a runner, who's a fighter, I want 11 boxing kangaroos on the field. And at one point he mentioned uh, with the lack of uh, fitness for Kai Rolls and Harry Suter coming back from injury that if he put them in a boxing ring, they'd be ready to box. But would they be ready to play football is my question. And we didn't hear a great deal of discussion about the actual football and how players will be implemented. Arnold actually said he visualised all 26 players in his squad starting, so gave nothing away. It seems as though every time we get into an international window, it's a little bit exhausting hearing about all the cliches of Aussie DNA. Now we've got boxing kangaroos, runners and fighters. Uh, are we kind of primed for an enlightenment here where we change the conversation that comes from the national team about the national team? Or are we going to get out of our group and all of a sudden we'll have to all put our hands up and say, actually, this sort of backs to the wall, nobody believes in us, uh, stick that in your pipe and smoke it, as Bailey Wright said after we qualified. That's, that's always going to be the narrative and sort of the mentality around our national team. I think the narrative, look, there's always good to have messages, right? You, you, you're always trying to be positive within the group. You want to talk about what type of DNA you want to have and all that sort of stuff. It's all well and good, right? And, and that's what you need. You definitely need that. I, I have no, no qualms about that whatsoever. But th- there's a time and a place where you need to give explanations. And when you announce a squad for a World Cup, it's, I, I, I just, I'm disappointed that the, the, that hasn't been given explanations for certain players certainly there's certain players i think there should be explanations given as to why when people ask a question rather than being on the, the defensive and say it's it, everyone's negative i think it's about you've you, you know you're talking about the pinnacle of people's careers and and arnie will know that more than anyone for him unfortunately he never had an opportunity to play at a world cup but obviously he's been there in the coaching stuff so he knows what it's like to go to a world cup how he's seen players disappointments he's seen players fight for everything and i and 
Look, when you get on a football pitch, you're not, you're not a boxing kangaroo, mate. You're playing football against some of the best players in the world and you've got to be ready to play football. It's not about fighting, yes, but it's a different type of fighting. It's fighting as together with a team spirit and then working hard, being fit, being able to compete at that highest level. Well, who knows? Hopefully in the next few weeks we may see or may hear reports of some of the players that have been left out saying, oh, this is the explanation I was given from the from Graham Arnold and the Socceroos as to why. So we might just get some clarity. And then again, we might not hear from any of them. We might never be uh, able to explain um, what's going on. See, for me, if, you, if you're the manager and you've... Like, this is... I always found it really tough to understand. I've had managers in my career, and I'm sure you guys have as well. I've had a lot. Whereby... They, <laughs> yeah, I know. You've had, you've had a hell of a lot. That, that have never really been honest with you. So, so you'd rather than be honest with you and... Or at least come up with a valid excuse. Even if it's bullshit. Come up with a valid excuse. And you can go, as a player, if you're being told the excuse, at least you can turn around and go... At least he was honest with me, or at least he gave me a reason. I could see what he was saying. I didn't agree with it. And at least you have a bit more respect for someone. And if he came out, and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping he's spoken to every one of them who he's left out, out of those players, certainly the bigger players and the players that have been around or on the cusp and question marks as to why they're not involved, to give them a reason as to why they left him out. And for me, those reasons he's giving them are the same reasons he puts out in the press because then it's very difficult for those players to come out and go, this is what he said. Well, we know because he said that in his press conference. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't take much to give an explanation on five, six players, I, I believe. Just to finish the Socceroos chat on a positive then, Australia has turned into a bit of a shop window team where good performances could materially change the career trajectory of some of the members in this squad. Many of them have already made the move to Europe, but this could be the difference between, say, going from a Scotland into a top five league. Uh, or maybe someone who's trapped in a, a difficult club situation like an Awa Mobile, potentially putting himself in the shop window to move to a club that's going to want him and want him as a starting 11 player. Who do you think is in this Socceroos squad that is primed for a shop window move? Uh, Thomas Sorensen, is there a name that jumps off the page at you? You know, I think, first of all, uh, World Cup is a shopping window for everyone. Uh, there, there's not one in this squad who's at a, such a big club that uh, there's nowhere else to move. Um, you know, Matty Ryan, I think, uh, springs to mind. Uh, he's obviously in a tough position uh, at Copenhagen. You know, he's a player that has shown in the past he, he, he's at absolute top level. And, and I'm sure at the World Cup, you know, Australia you know, will be defending uh, in that first game, especially against France. You know, he'll have plenty to do. Uh, I, I hope that he has a fantastic World Cup and, and gets the move he deserves. Uh, and then you got uh, again. Uh, I know Qual have have signed um, with Newcastle, but I'm sure he's he's looking for a, a loan move that's a little bit bigger than, um, you know, the Central Coast at some point. You know, so it's for all the players really. Um, you know, just to stick your head out. I think um, and and what an opportunity the World Cup. It's the biggest stage uh, you can ever play at. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of the Aussies that 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 uh, could do well out of this World Cup. I think there's a couple of players in the squad um, that have the potential of, of big moves after the World Cup. Uh, first one I'm going to have to say is Adam Rustic. I'm a big fan. I think he's a, a very, very talented player. Um, and obviously he's had an injury issue at Hellas Verona now, but playing in Serie A, 
the league suits him. Uh, I think he was just finding his feet as before he got as he got injured. Um, and I think him going to the World Cup, so long as he's fit, as long as he can play at his level that we know he can play, certainly those last two games in the qualifiers against uh, UAE and uh, against uh, Peru showed you what a big part player, a big team, big game player he is and how important he's going to be to the Socceroos at the World Cup. Um, the other person, I think Harry Suter. Look, if Harry Suter were a fit Harry Suter who'd played the season, hadn't had a, a, a knee injury, such a, a serious knee injury, I think he'd be another one that would be using this as an opportunity to catapult himself to a big, big move. Um, I mean, saying that, if he weren't injured, he probably would have been already been a far bigger club uh, than he's at now. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a couple of players there that I think this is a, a massive chance for him. All right, stay with us here on the Gagging Pod. After this short break, we'll come back for a rapid round to get through all the other big talking points in football. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the Gagin Pod. We've had to wish Thomas Sorensen a good morning, but we still have Michael Bridges and Mark Schwartz with us to launch into the other talking points away from the Socceroos and the World Cup. And of course, the biggest one of those is the Premier League. Michael Bridges, let's come to you on Spurs. Another disappointing result, and it seems as though they're in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. Lots of talk around Antonio Conte and his tactics and his approach. And it seems as though Spurs, if Conte is not the man to break them out of a holding pattern, who can? And what is it going to take to try and launch them up towards title contention rather than leave them just contending for a top four place? Can we please just give this guy a bit of time? Do you know what I mean? He's, he, he, I can't understand. I loved his interview, right? I love to hate him as well. You know, there's a lot of excuses, but, you know, Perisic was playing up top with Carry Kane the other day. Now, you know, Kulusevsky wasn't underdone. Sond wasn't right. Uh, so he's got Perisic up there. It was The dynamics were completely different, all right? Yes, it was. You know, they didn't want to go and open up against Liverpool. Um, and give them give them an opportunity to break them down. They've got he's got a game plan, and you know where they are sitting at this moment in time is better and more is better off than when they were under Jose Mourinho. Go on then, Swartzy, what are you going to give us? Come on, yeah, I can see you waggling your finger, you're giving us some stick. Playing against Liverpool that have lost their last two games in a row, Liverpool are struggling for form, and he's worried about being opened up by Liverpool. He's played in the Liverpool's hands, the way that they kind of took that negative approach. This is how he plays, and this is what it's about. So the fans, right? You got to be careful what the hell you wish for, and just give give him time. He said it's. A, he, I've never heard him say that he wants to be at a club for a long term project, right? And he talked about it last month, and he said, "I want to be here. We are going to get we're better than we were last season. We've got more points on the board than last season. We're sitting in a better position than last season. That's what it is about. It's about progression. You can't just go from one extreme to the other." So You've got to build on it. You've got to give give this guy time. And when he was he's been so annoyed that the the attitude of the fans are expecting to win three and four nil every game. That's that's not the reality of it. it it's not going to happen. So uh, what 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 I hate about Conte as well is the fact that he talks about this huge project and how he won seven years at this football club, 
and then after the game the other day with the booze, he says, "Oh, I'm done with these lot. I, I want out." <laughs> so he, yeah. he, you know, he lets his emotions get too too heavily involved, and he says too much to the media at times. Yeah, but come on, you're a manager, and you've got to expect that people demand a certain level. And he came with all this 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 um, fanfare and, and about how they're going to play and they're going to. This is the man that's going to change everything. And I actually think it seems like they're on the downward uh, fall. You know, that it seems like. They're better off than they were last season. They're not on no, no, I agree with you because they started so well. No, because they started so well. So that's what I'm there saying. you go. Last so couple no of games, he's haven't. doing a good job. No, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I thought I was disappointed in the way they set up against Liverpool and and how they approached that game. They're at home. They're against so how Liverpool did you want side who are vulnerable. How, if you're playing a certain way for the whole season, how would you have set up against Liverpool? I, I think Liverpool are there to, to be to be had to be gone at to to really press them and really put them under pressure. And they and they didn't. Right. Okay. Well, I hear what you're saying now, because like, yeah, Leeds had a goal like that early on, and they forced them into mistakes in the in the previous game. But but Conte, that that's not that's not his style of play. And you're, you're very you've got to, if, you've got to, if you haven't worked on it, if you haven't worked on it, he's not going to do it. But I'm I'm still sitting pretty with him. I don't mind having him there. And um, yeah, it's the, I think the most annoying thing for Tottenham fans at this moment in time is that knowing that Arsenal are above them. In this, the fact, but look what happened when they gave Arteta some time. Look what happened. Look what he built. So please, yeah, let's just give him a bit what more he was time. Building. You could see what he was building. You could see he was building a, a more exciting way of football, and that's what people want, right? And that's what they're used to seeing. Tottenham, you got you. You know of all people what Tottenham want, what their fans demand, how they're best suited is. They play this free flowing style of entertainment football, and then obviously not getting that. If they were getting results. And they were really showing progression. Then I think fans would accept it. But but at the moment they feel like that is slipping away. We are giving teams the opportunity to score one or two goals against us early because we sit back. And then when he throws caution to the wind and lets the players go, we're coming back from Bournemouth and we're coming back to win three two. You're coming back late again in the European in yeah. the Champions League to get a result and get you through. You can't top. do that against Liverpool. You can't do it against Manchester City. You can't no, do it against, no. if you want to be at the top and be one right. of the better teams. You can't do that. All right, I'm just a, I'm a Spurs winger. All right, well done. Let's talk about the other team in that game, Liverpool. Headlines that the club was being put up for sale, then a denial, then reports that it was a percentage of a club being put up for sale. Florida, uh, the the FSG uh, ownership consortium potentially looking to make uh, a bit of return on investment by selling a percentage of the club. Just how destabilising could this be for Liverpool? And given that Jurgen Klopp is, is often easily wound up at the best of times, how much of a distraction could this prove to be if the media is constantly asking him about both his future and what it could mean if the club is going to change ownership or have some sort of uh, ownership percentage turmoil going into the future? It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've seen a couple of times this season already with, with Jurgen Klopp that there's been some players, ex-players criticism, um, people questioning... Uh, Klopp and whether or not he's lost the dressing room, whether it's time for Klopp to go. Dietmar Hamann, obviously, there's a quite well, well, well known. They're good friends. Uh, yeah, and and it's interesting to see the response. You know, for me, Jurgen Klopp doesn't need to respond to that because he's bigger and better, and he's. I think his record speaks for itself. To be even questioning that is ridiculous, and I think the vast majority of people know that that is a ridiculous question. So, I was a little bit surprised he bit like he did. Um, but Swartzy, so, it's not so, the only time he's had a bite this season. He had a bite over know, here with Talk Sport Radio as well with um, Gabby Agbongaho. Absolutely. When he, he lowered his level there. And I'm thinking, why are you getting involved with radio chit-chat? And then you're getting involved with the other one. So I think he's feeling the pressure a little bit himself. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you know, certainly things do play on people's minds, I'm sure. You know, at Dortmund, he was there for seven years and then, and then it obviously didn't work out in the end. Liverpool, this is seven years. I, I, look, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Probably it's, you know, suspected it for a while that, that things weren't all right. I mean, the, the other reports here in the UK is that FSG, the, the final final straw for them was once the, the European Super League, uh, was the pin was pulled, once they were forced by fan power, fan pressure to withdraw, yeah. for, that they're reporting that FSG, that was their final straw of, right, this is not going to be a viable project for us. The, the other one I was looking at from that, just put it into context, I don't know, was it 300 million they paid for Liverpool when they first initially bought it? Now they're looking for 3 billion, is that correct? Because that's some investment and some return. I mean, they have spent a lot of money as well throughout the time. I, no, I don't no, know what they paid. I don't know what so, they've paid. So do you? Th- you're talking about that missing out in the Super League. The one that I was looking at, and I was hearing a few rumours that they think they're so far behind this season, or that like, the season's kind of been written off. That the Champions League and they've just drawn Real Madrid. Are they are they pulling the pin because they think they could lose financially massive money by not getting in the Champions League next season as well? Do you think that could be a factor? I mean, that's a, that's a really quick trigger finger, that. I mean, to think... I but mean, I know you've been thinking about it since the Super Cup as well, though. I know Super you've League. written them off already about top four. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, read them, you wrote them off after week 11, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, and I did I say Newcastle would be top four as well, if I remember at the start of the season. But anyway, moving on. Yeah, I don't think you did, but you're making it up as if you did now. Um, I, I, I Look, I think the Super... From what I'm reading, that's only reports, media reports at the moment, is that... And it, and it kind of makes a little bit of sense because obviously they were the ones... And it's not the first time. They, they tried... Remember when they tried to, to raise uh, ticket pricing and then the fans did a revolt and then they changed their mind again and apologised they've made a big mistake. Then they've done it with the Super League. Um, new stand getting built as well. Got to, got to pay that off. Because I was at Leeds when we missed out on the Champions League football. Yeah. But we'd already spent the money thinking that because we're in the semi-finals, we're going to qualify again. And it all went, obviously, the amount of money that we we didn't receive from the Champions League cost them. I know I know this, this group um, have got a lot more, the FSG have got a lot more um, capabilities and Liverpool's have um, got a massive financial backing that's valuable. But there's, there's a lot of things that have happened this season that I think they've got scared. Maybe they feel like, like you said, maybe they feel like Super League, not that's not happening, not anytime soon anyway. And certainly the way the fans reacted, it's going to be very difficult to pull that off. Yeah. Maybe they're thinking as well, like you said, the rebuild. Maybe there's going to be a big rebuild and a big outlay of money that maybe they haven't got the appetite to do that. Maybe they feel like if we do that, we're going to have to eat in some of our profit that we're making. Now is potentially the best time to sell. Maybe. Who knows? But Liverpool fans will be buzzing because it's such a sort after club, they'll have no drama selling it. Oh, they won't. Yeah, and there's no. I mean, the, the problem is always with all, all these clubs being sold is trying to have a influence, uh, which is tough for the fans. But to to be able to at least make sure that the club's in the right hands, the person with the right, the right, uh, uh, I, I suppose, objective and 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 the right uh, feel with the fans and understand the fans, understand the the the, the area. And I think often, more often than not, that gets lost when when foreign ownership comes involved. Let's go to the sack race. Ralph Hasenhutl gone from Southampton. Luton's Nathan Jones is the bookies' favourite. The other candidates include Sean Dyche, Marcelo Gallardo, both managers we've discussed on this podcast for other jobs. Domenico Tedesco, who's still unemployed. I want him to be the next Socceroos boss, but I, I don't like our chances. Or even Mauricio Pochettino has been listed as a 15 to 1 shot 
and Poch getting even linked to this job is curious. Before I ask about Poch, let's talk about Hassan Hudel. Mark, it seems as though he's had one foot out the door for quite some time, and yet he was the fourth longest-serving manager in the Premier League at the time of his sacking. So he certainly survived a bit longer than many would have expected. It just seemed like the, almost like the, I know it sounds a bit weird, but the perfect relationship because he was prepared to deal with the constant financial restraints, the selling of of their best talent and trying to find the next bargain all the time, trying to promote youth, trying to balance that with survival in the Premier League and obviously off the back of some really poor poor results. Um, I I feel for him because I, I think he's a really good coach. And the the players seem to have certainly a lot of players I feel have, have have improved under him. Maybe it's got to a point now where they've not listened anymore. Maybe maybe that message is not coming around anymore, and maybe the manager's changed his way as well because of the pressure. And maybe he's had enough. And uh, who knows? Um, I, I think I think he did a I think he did a, a pretty good job. All things considered, I know I know you can pick out results two nine nils and so forth, which obviously are horrendous. But overall, when you look at the big picture, you look at the way Salamtan is a selling club. Yeah. Um, I think he's done a pretty good job. Yeah. And I think you saw that in Newcastle game of the weekend. That a lot of youngsters coming through. Yes, they got absolutely smashed. They got another another production line coming through the academy. He never really replaced Danny Ings when they lost him for them amount of goals. They haven't been able to replicate that. Uh, and like you say, he's very, very well liked. I don't know about the playing staff, however. I don't know how, whether that's turned this season. He is really well liked down at the academy levels and right the way through because he, they said he's the first manager that has taken them under his wing and guidance and taken an interest down below to help them become better people and also listen to their ideas. So that's why that's why he was so well sought after there. Um, and like you say, I, I, I never thought it would it would come to this forty. To be fair, um, with, with him leaving, because like you say, it did look like the match made in heaven. But the big talk over here, Nathan Jones is managing his last game for Luton tonight, I do believe. They're getting beat off Stoke. Um, and it, I think he will be in charge by the weekend. And, you know, I've spoken to Lloyd Owusu as well through the yesterday, uh, who's very good friends with him over here. Um, and he said that he, he did wish him all the best. And I, I tried to get a little bit more info out of Lloydy, but he didn't, he didn't let on. But that, that's the talk. Um, but I would love to see Pochettino back in the Premier League. Because Luton Town came out and said that they'd given him Nathan Jones permission yeah. to speak to Southampton, but after yeah. tonight's game. And yes. they also then went on to say that they were very grateful and the professionalism that Southampton showed in approaching them first and asking for the permission. So, which... Which is and it's also, cost it's cost efficient as well. He's not yes. going to be on on hundreds of thousands of, of pounds a well, week. He's he's more likely to take the opportunity and see the bigger picture than the wages after they've got to pay Hassan who will up. Well, well, it's cost effective now. Let's wait until the end of the season whether it is really cost effective Correct. or not. Yes. Just on Poch though, the fact he was even linked briefly to this job before Nathan Jones became the overwhelming favourite. Does he need to go backwards to go forwards? Does he need to take on a project and build a club up again, or is he still of a status that when there's a vacancy at a Champions League team that Poch will automatically be among the considerations if he puts his hand up. Have, have his recent uh, exploits in management potentially tarnished his ability to remain in the absolute top echelon of this guy can manage a super club, this guy can manage a Champions League contender? Theo, it's an absolutely bloody brilliant question, mate. I, I love it because it is to to see his name linked with Southampton. No disrespect, but to the other clubs he's been linked with over the last few years, 
and to see him with this one and thinking that it, it's it's a massive come down for him. Um, does he need to do that and rebuild? I, I think it would be a step backwards. I still think he possibly could get a Champions League job. Um, but however, it depends how long you are out of the game because the game doesn't wait for people. You need to be on the grass. And um, it's it's a very, very great question. I can't answer that, mate. That's, that's, that you've, you've actually made Bridgie loss a word, which is a first. I, I mean, look, the fact that he still had a job tells me that he still believes and still fancies managing a top top club and believes that there's still going to be a possibility of course you're going to back yourself I, I, look leaving I thought he did remark, I thought he did a fantastic job at Tottenham um, PSG is a, an incredibly tough job we've seen it with so many managers struggle um, to, to really make an impact to that club it, it goes far deeper than any manager running a club I think um, and far more complex so look I, I think for Maurizio Pochettino, uh, another big move is still very much on the cards. Speaking of the Champions League and European football, the Champions League draw came out, including uh, Real Madrid versus Liverpool, which you mentioned, Bridgie. Spurs will play Milan, PSG against Bayern, Dortmund will play Chelsea, and Manchester City get RB Leipzig. What jumps off the page at you, Bridgie, as the tie that you are most looking forward to watching? Every single one. The Real Madrid, Liverpool, absolutely mouth and Tottenham, my team against AC Milan, uh, you know, a team that I admired so many years ago in, the, in Serie A. PSG contenders for the title against my team that I think will win the Champions League this year by Munich. Dortmund against Chelsea. They all are. They're absolutely fantastic. And I just can't believe we're going to see so many big clubs go out Um yeah, it's it's just absolutely brilliant, and this is what the Champions League is all about. I, I I actually wish that Real Madrid against Liverpool or PSG against Bayern was one of the finals. To be honest with you, it's it's interesting, isn't it? You look at every one of those uh, draws, and you're right. You could pick any one of those draws and go, that's that's like an unbelievable game to go and watch. The only one that doesn't really jump at you is Club Rouge against Benfica, but it's still two massive clubs. And, yes. I, and I feel for him a little bit because you kind of go, all the others are just incredible. And you look at Club Bruges and, and Benfica and you go, oh, yeah, okay, that's not bad. <laughs> but still, it, it's still massive clubs, right? And it's still going to be a great game. I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt, Napoli. I mean, what Frankfurt did last season and winning the Europa League and Napoli are absolutely flying. They've only lost one game in all comps this season so far. They're, they're like romping the Serie A at the moment. Um Leipzig, Man City, they're a bit of a history with the two of them. Inter, Porto, it's probably another one that's probably not necessarily right up there, but it's still a, a very, very tasty fixture. And in the Europa League, a, a fixture of equal status in terms of the profile of the clubs, if not bigger than the Champions League ties, Barcelona against Manchester United. It almost seemed as though as soon as Man United didn't get the second goal against Sociedad in order to top the group and have to go into this uh, pre-qualifying round, that this this tie or maybe having to play against Juve was going to happen. And indeed it has. Bridgie, do Manchester United get past Barcelona? It's not like Barcelona don't have issues of their own. Well, this that, that draw that you mentioned there, like you say, when United didn't get that goal... It's the last thing they would have wanted. You know, Ten Hag and the boys watching that draw and going Barcelona. They're top of top of La Liga. Um, Real Madrid have slipped up. They're, they're, they've got Lewandowski. And it, I think it's the last team, Man United. I can safely say now, I'm going to go out there and say it on the Gagan pod. Bye-bye, Man United. You're out, of the, you're out of the Europa League. Barca are flying this year. I, th- I think they're possibly on for a chance of doing the double this year. They'll get the... I think they'll win the Europa League and they'll... they'll 
I'll go back on what I said. I fancied Real Madrid to win the Serie. Uh, sorry, the um, La Liga. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to change my ways. I think Barca um, Barca will do it. So it's it's a huge tie, and and again, just another magnificent fixture. I, I was in I was in Madrid for the El Clasico, and I was really disappointed actually uh, in Barcelona. I thought. Look, maybe it was just a really bad day because I, I thought they were nowhere near the level that I've used to seeing Barcelona. I thought Real Madrid were far, far better than them on the day, um, and they're probably lucky they didn't lose by by more Barcelona. Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that that's that's a, such a straightforward game. I, 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 Barcelona are top. Real Madrid did slip up on the weekend, but I don't think that means that Real Madrid are out of the if race. If Aston Villa can beat Man United, Barcelona can. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. You're right. It, it, it is. It is right, but. I don't know. European games always bring a different side out of teams, and 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 I think Barca against Man United is a very tasty fixture, um, one to look forward to, isn't it? And just to finish on the Gagan Pod today, let's talk briefly about some women's football because by the time we record next week, and your host for that will be Amy Duggan, uh, the Matildas will have played against Sweden in Melbourne. They will have played against Thailand in Gosford. And our players in the WSL making their final appearances before flying out to Melbourne. Sam Kerr scored and also helped Chelsea inflict Manchester United's first defeat of the WSL season, while Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford both scored for Arsenal as they kept their perfect run going. Mark Schwarzer, the Matildas, they've been a little bit on the back burner with this camp that they're currently in due to the Socceroos squad announcement, but come Saturday afternoon, they will have everyone's attention. What are you expecting from them against Sweden? What are you hoping for? Progression. I'm hoping we see... We see the grand master plan coming into action. We see, we see what we haven't seen so far with Gustafsson. I think, I, I, I think for a lot of a lot of people, certainly me personally, I'm still waiting to see what the grand plan is and how is it going to work and are we getting there? Because we're, we're you know we're we're coming to what is it six six seven months away from a World Cup. We need to start to see now how the Matildas are going to be shaping up for the World Cup on home soil. It's an unbelievable opportunity with an incredibly talented squad of players. And I'm still very, very uh, concerned about the way we've played so far. Uh, we've had we've showed glimpses and there's been moments, but for me it just hasn't been consistently um, upward enough, the, the progression. So... I'm sure that'll be an interesting conversation with Amy next week. All right, Mark Schwarzer, thanks for all your thoughts and uh, insight into the Socceroos squad today. It's been a sensational discussion just for me to listen into, never mind uh, chip in with the odd opinion here and there. So thank you once again for joining us. Pleasure, mate. And Michael Bridges, thank you for joining us as well. Always a pleasure and looking forward to hearing more from you as we go. Thank you very much. And thank you for that amazing question that had me stumped, mate. I might give you an answer during the week. <laughs> yes, a big thank you to Mark Schwarzer and Michael Bridges and also Thomas Sorensen who joined us for the majority of the show too. Don't forget with the World Cup break coming, you need to make the most of the Premier League because this weekend we've got Manchester City hosting Brentford on Saturday night with kickoff at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time followed by goal rush from 2am including Liverpool against Southampton and Tottenham against Leeds United. Then don't miss Newcastle against Chelsea from 4.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday and Wolves against Arsenal from 6.45am Australian Eastern Daylight Time after that. 
and Manchester United fans see your team away to Fulham from 3.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. La Liga is in the midst of a midweek round, the final games before the World Cup break, so make sure you stay across Thursday and Friday action, including Sevilla against Real Sociedad from 5am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday morning, and Real Madrid hosting Cadiz from 7.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Friday morning. The WSL is back from 2am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday with Everton's trip to Manchester City, then Arsenal host Manchester United from 4.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday and don't miss Sam Kerr's Chelsea playing Tottenham from midnight at Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Amy Duggan will be in the chair next week taking you through the show. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure that you subscribe and rate us five stars. This has been the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Gegen Pod. Uh, just give you an idea as to what, um, bless you, like God, you, you would have blown the house down with that nose. Um, the, what I was going <laughs> to you've totally distracted us there. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.